Across central Wisconsin, people are tuning in and sounding off. Call in now. 715-845-2155. WSAU Feedback on AM 550, FM 99.9, WSAU. Meg Ellefson is off today. I'm Chris Conley, guest hosting. She'll be back tomorrow. I want to talk about the state Supreme Court race, and, you know, Election Day is April 4th, so it's getting closer and closer, less than a month to go. I had said earlier when there were four candidates, it's been narrowed down to two, that I thought that this would be a difficult maybe even impossible hill for conservatives to climb. And here we are, now that we're down to two candidates, the liberal Janet Protasewicz and ex-Justice Dan Kelly, who ran for a full term on the state Supreme Court and lost already. There is nothing that has happened that has changed my assessment of this race. Janet Protasewicz, the liberal who openly says how she's going to rule on certain cases when they come to the Supreme Court, a violation of judicial ethics, but you know what? It's up to individual judges to decide if they recuse themselves from cases that come before them or not. Um, and Janet Protasewicz, you know what? Um, ethics do not hinder her on the campaign trail. Um, there is nothing that has changed my assessment that she is the overwhelming favorite and that with her likely election on April 4th, I, I get it, Election Day hasn't arrived yet. Maybe I will be pleasantly surprised. Maybe dogs and cats will lie down together and everything will be just fine. Um, but with Janet Protasewicz winning on April 4th, conservatives lose control of the state Supreme Court. There'll be a 4-3 to three liberal majority on the state's high court. And there was an article that I read over the weekend that's absolutely right. Every major policy decision in the state, from Act 10 to voter ID to absentee ballot drop boxes, had every one of the conservative initiatives that has come forward in Wisconsin has had to survive a court challenge. That it is the Supreme Court that has backstopped laws that a conservative legislature has passed and in most cases, a then-conservative governor, Scott Walker, has signed. Um, governor Evers, I mean, if you remember, um, we had to take Governor Evers to court because of his very, very unusual ideas about what the governor's emergency powers were like, which he exercised during COVID. The governor can seize emergency powers for a 30-day period that he would otherwise not have that these emergency powers would normally have to go through the legislature, that you'd need a bill. But realizing that, you know, if a dam breaks and a community is flooded, there's not time to pass a bill. That if you have a virus that people are hyped up about, um, the governor may have to make emergency decisions so he can declare emergencies. And for 30 days, he has this power that otherwise has to be shared with other branches of government. And in Tony Evers' world, he declared a COVID emergency for 30 days. And then on the very day that that was going to expire, the governor would issue another emergency about COVID. Like the first emergency would say, because COVID is a risk to our kids in schools, I'm declaring an emergency. And on the last day, the governor would announce, because COVID is a risk to old people in nursing homes, well, I I'm, I'm extending the emergency. 
And then when that emergency was about to expire, um, because COVID is a risk for those who have to go to work and be in close proximity to others, I'm declaring another emergency. Again, they're all about COVID. And that can't possibly be the way the emergency powers work in Wisconsin, because each time one order is to expire, you could just change the language or change the wording and you would get another extended period of emergency powers. Now, rational people like you and me say that that can't possibly be right. But yet we had to go to court, the state Supreme Court, with at the time a four to three conservative majority. And the ruling was four to three to say, no, no, Governor Evers, I'm sorry. Your emergency powers don't go on forever. Well, there you go. If there was a four to three liberal majority, who knows? We could still be wearing masks right now. Because again, each time that the emergency period came to an end, the governor could issue some new emergency that could be used to keep schools closed. It could be used to limit capacities at restaurants and bars. You know, you can operate only at uh, 50%. Well, you know what? A restaurant or bar that's only 50% full is going out of business. Well, that was Governor Evers' world, again, knocked back to reality by a conservative majority on the state Supreme Court, a conservative majority that is at risk. Now, if I was going to say, Chris, don't be too pessimistic, find something positive about this race. Well, I would tell you that the last few statewide elections have been very close, that liberals and conservatives have roughly about the same amount of support. Again, Milwaukee and Madison, liberal bastions. Conservatives lose their 90 to 10 percent, sometimes worse than that. The rest of the state leans conservative. So a conservative has to win by enough of a margin in other parts of the state to overcome the liberal tidal wave that comes in in each statewide election from Madison and Milwaukee. And you look at what Governor Evers is in office because of two very close wins. He won his first election by 30,000 votes and then won by 25,000. Ron Johnson, conservative senator from Wisconsin, he's in by a margin of about 23,000. And again, these are races where 6 million, 7 million ballots have been cast. So you say, gee, we have a conservative candidate for state Supreme Court and we have a liberal candidate for state Supreme Court. So it's going to be a very contentious turnout race. Well, that's the optimistic view. I'm more of a pessimist in this race. And why is that? Because, in part, there'll be a different electorate, a different group of voters who will be deciding this. And what is this? Mostly young liberals, and in many cases, young liberal women, who are going to be voting because of the abortion issue. And I will tell you that it is a disgrace. It shows how morally bankrupt we are. That the very face of modern feminism, that the critical issue for a young, say, college-age woman or just out of college, the 20-somethings, the people in the friends generation, that the number one overriding women's lib issue for them is the right to kill your baby. And, and that is just so, so empty, so, so morally blank. And yet that is going to be a different group of people who may not participate in general elections, but are going to participate in this one because they're being told abortion is on the ballot. And they're being told all the lies that go along with abortion, that this is a women's rights issue. 
No, it's not. It's a moral issue about whether an unborn baby that's growing inside a pregnant woman has the right to be born or not. It's a moral, not a feminist issue. And to be told, oh, by the way, it's reproductive health care. I mean, that's already the code word here. Um, abortion access is a reproductive health care issue. Well, no, it's not health care. I mean, that's like saying liposuction is health care. Uh, you know, I, I want a smaller butt, so I go to the doctor and get lipo. Is that health care? No, I mean, that's a vanity service. Um, I get that there are some people who have horrible skin, and they say you go to a dermatologist to fix that. Um, does that rise to the same level as health care, as getting your physical and being told, well, uh, we've got some heart problems here that we need to address? Of course it's not. And to say that having access to an abortion is somehow women's health care, it just isn't. But that's the argument of people who know that we can't say, well, it, it snuffs out a living life. But people who think that way are going to be highly motivated to vote, and they're voting for Janet Protasiewicz. The other thing that makes me a little pessimistic here is Janet is flush with cash. I mean, you saw that on Super Bowl Sunday. On Super Bowl Sunday, she buys not one but two con uh, commercials that are in the local breaks of the Super Bowl broadcast. The most expensive advertising that is sold anywhere in the state. More expensive than any newspaper ad, more expensive than any radio spot, more expensive than a billboard on the busiest intersection or interchange on our highways, more expensive than the slickest, glossiest mailer that you can send out. There's nothing more expensive than advertising on the Super Bowl, and Janet Protasiewicz has the cash to buy not one but two commercials. One, you know, um, friendly, liberal, college-age women making fun of her name. Janet Protasiewicz. And then at the end, the best-looking, brightest, smartest, cleanest, friendliest, with the best smile woman says, Protasiewicz, and then the bell goes off. Ding! Okay, so that's an ad that doesn't tell you anything, but it does show you the kind of supporters that she has, young liberal feminist women. And then Janet Protasiewicz ran another commercial saying that she believes in a woman's right to choose and that she would defend that right on the Supreme Court. So what does her opponent Dan Kelly have? Well, Dan Kelly's been advertising on the radio. Um, by the way, I, I think advertising on the radio is a, is a fine idea. Um, and as large as this audience is, and as valuable as the political real estate that we sell to candidates is on this radio station and on others, I will be the first to admit it's not a Super Bowl ad. And Dan Kelly doesn't have the money for that. So we have one candidate got the scratch to buy anything. And another candidate who is struggling. In fact, um, you know, there are groups that track ad buys. And one noted that Janet Protasiewicz and that her supporters, you know, they've got political action groups that say things that judicial candidates can't say. Um, some $2 million worth of advertising. Mostly Milwaukee and Madison Television was booked for Janet Protasiewicz because she sees the most likely path to victory of getting overwhelming turnout. Maybe instead of the 90 to 10, maybe 95 to 5 percent is what the voter uh, results will look like in the two big liberal cities. Dan Kelly has spent $200,000. So $2 million to $200,000. And right now, I will tell you, Right now, at this moment, as I come in and sit here in front of the computer screen that has the log of all the commercials that are booked on this radio station today, Dan Kelly is not advertising.
that here we are a little under a month. And you know what? Political advertising sometimes comes in on very short notice. Um, we could get the fax or the phone call or, or the email that Dan Kelly is making a buy today. And he could be on the air tomorrow. But right now, a month out, Janet Protasewicz is on the air and is advertising heavily. And her opponent, again, who had one-tenth of the advertising buys so far, according to the last report. Janet Protasewicz, $2 million in advertising booked. Dan Kelly and his political action groups, 200000 and is not on the air today. I will take some of your phone calls. If you have some more optimistic look about this, what should a Dan Kelly strategy look like? Is there a strategy that would actually bring the result we're looking for, a win? I really don't know, and usually I'm a pretty creative guy. Usually I see these things. We'll take some of your calls, 715-845-2155. 715-845-2155. I'm Chris Conley, your guest host on Feedback. Good Monday morning. I see some of us will have a little more shoveling to do, wet, heavy variety. I'm Chris Conley, in for Meg Ellison. Meg is back tomorrow. So we'll take your calls at 715-845-2155. Do you see any way that conservatives hold on to this seat in the state Supreme Court? Or is Janet Protasewicz such an overwhelming favorite that we're going to be disappointed on April 4th? Let's take your calls now. Caller, you are first up on feedback. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning, Chris. Um, I like what you said about the target audience for um, Janet. I call her potato chip. Um, what I'd like to know is, does Dan Kelly have anything on his website that could be used to target college-age females and that could be shared on social media? You know what? I, I've said this before, and, and I haven't looked at the websites of either of the candidates just because I already know so much about them. There, there are not more nuggets that I'm looking to glean there. Um, but I have said the issue of abortion, which is going to drive a lot of these younger, liberal, college-age women to the polls, and they're all going to vote for Judge Janet. Um, this is fundamentally a moral issue. And the problem for conservatives is that we haven't won the moral argument yet. So, of course, we're going to lose the political argument if there are younger women who just kind of shrug their head, uh, abortion? Yeah, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm for abortion. If the uh, pregnancy is inconvenient or I decide that uh, motherhood just doesn't fit my lifestyle right now, um, get get rid of it. I mean, throw, throw the baby out like the medical waste that it's about to become. Until we conservatives win that moral argument, we're going to lose the political argument. And I think I'm worried that that's going to become very apparent with the results that are coming in on April 4th. Caller, it's your turn on feedback. Go ahead. Okay. Um, anyway, I think that if the Republicans don't stop arguing over the abortion issue, that we just aren't going to win any more elections. People are using it for birth control. Women nowadays don't care. 
it's just crazy morals. There is no morals anymore. No, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely true. We have a regular caller who calls on and, and, and speaks with Meg who says that we've got to stop basing our elections and basing our politics on morality, which, by the way, I disagree with. I want to win the moral argument, which I know we have to do more persuading on. We're not done on that issue yet. Um, but you're right. We have to win the moral argument first or else we don't win the political argument. Got another caller here. Thank you for being patient. You're on feedback. Go ahead. Yes, hi. Hi, it's your hi, turn. Go, go ahead. Hi, Chris. My name is Steve from Pittsville. I thank you and Nate for this program. Uh, the issue of Roe v. Wade and um, the topic of abortion, one thing that might help is I would encourage everyone to research the current Wisconsin state statutes regarding abortion. Okay, um, look, I've made this argument many times before, and I'll repeat it here, and then we'll take a news break and more of your calls. So if you're on hold, please be patient. Um, The oldness of a law does not make it invalid. Wisconsin's abortion ban goes back to 1849. And again, the case that's going to come to our state Supreme Court is it's outdated. It's irrelevant. It has language in it that's language that's not even acknowledged by the medical community. These so what the people in our government who update laws, who change them, if the public's feeling is different, is the legislature. That's where laws come from. The legislature passes bills, sends them on to the governor. It is not the job of the state Supreme Court to say this law. I mean, well, then tell me, when did the 1849 law become outdated? Did it become outdated in 1900? Did it become outdated, uh, say, during the Great Depression? Did it become outdated in the 50s and 60s during the women's liberation movement? Because we didn't have Roe versus Wade until 1971. Look, one of the problems with Roe versus Wade, aside from being terrible law, that the state Supreme Court, uh, that the U.S. Supreme Court rightly struck down some of the issues back to the states, uh, is that Roe versus Wade liberalized abortion beyond even in countries where they have abortion. You know, in the European Union, abortion's a constitutional right for all of the nations that make up the European Union, but not after the second trimester. But Roe versus Wade went beyond that. In fact, Europeans are horrified at what the Roe versus Wade ruling allowed here. Although, granted, they're horrified now that some states might have outright bans. And as I've also pointed out, in Wisconsin, our homicide and murder statutes go back to 1848. They're a year older than that ban on abortion. Um, So should we take them off the books? Because uh, clearly, homicide and murder laws, thou shalt not kill, which is a law that that predates all of that when Moses brought the tablets down from Mount Sinai. Um, The law is suddenly not invalid just because it's old. And if you want to make that argument, well, then maybe it's okay to go out and kill somebody. Because that law is older than Wisconsin's ban on abortion. We'll take more of your calls at 715-845-2155 after the news. This is Feedback on WSAU. Monday morning feedback on AM 550, FM 99.9, and Wausau 95.1 WSAU. Chris Conley filling in today for Meg Ellison. She's back tomorrow. We are talking about the state Supreme Court race, and we will take more of your calls, too. 715-845-2155 if you'd like to join in. 
Look, we can't even be certain if you're a conservative that Dan Kelly is the legitimate second-place finisher. You know, Janet Protasewicz had such a lead in the polls, and her backers know that, that supporters of Judge Janet, who want her on the bench, want her to strike down that 1849 abortion law, had the luxury of voting for Dan Kelly over Jennifer Doro. Jennifer Doro was the other conservative candidate, the judge in Waukesha, who handled the Waukesha Christmas Parade trial and, and gained some notoriety because of that. I still believe that she was the stronger candidate. A lot of Judge Janet's supporters, I mean, they put out mailers. They were targeting Jennifer Doro to try and get people to vote for Dan Kelly. That, in fact, not only does Janet have the fundraising advantage, the advantage of all of the young female voters who care only about the abortion issue are coming out to vote for her. Those are huge advantages. She may have also got to pick her preferred opponent, Dan Kelly, over Jennifer Doro. Can't rule that out either. And why is that a concern? Well, Dan Kelly served on the state Supreme Court before. He was appointed to fill out a term by Governor Scott Walker. He ran for his own term and lost by 150,000 votes and lost when there wasn't this this X-factor issue, the abortion issue, and lost in an election where the balance of power was not going to be tipped. In other words, the stakes are much higher now, and Dan Kelly couldn't win an election where none of those issues were in play, which is why I still continue to think that he's a heavy lift for conservatives to get over the finish line. You say, oh, oh, does that sound a lot like the governor's race where perhaps Rebecca Clayfish was a better candidate than Tim Michaels? I, I, we, we can argue that. Different, uh, different conservatives see different candidates in different light. But again, I think a more difficult candidate to get over the finish line is the one who's on the ballot here in Dan Kelly, which is why he's got uh, really an uphill battle against Janet Protasewicz. 715-845-2155 if you'd like to join in. Caller, thanks for being patient. It's your turn on feedback. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Uh, uh, we're basically, with Dan Kelly, we're basically a team right now. Uh, hello? Yep, go ahead. Oh, okay, okay. I, I didn't know if you cut me off or not there. Uh, we're basically a team now that's uh, at the two-minute warning on our own 20-yard line, uh, and we need a touchdown, and we got no timeouts. Uh, you know, we're going to need a miracle to win this one. Uh, I think the only thing that can, that can help Dan Kelly right now, and I had a conversation with one of our other frequent callers late last week, uh, and uh, he needs he needs the equivalent of a bomb that goes off in the middle of the room. He needs a he needs a commercial with his limited funding. They need to put together a commercial, and I'll just quickly uh, explain. Uh, are you familiar at all with the movie Devil's Advocate with Keanu Reeves and uh, and Al Pacino? Al Pacino plays Satan himself and tries to get yeah. Keanu Reeves to procreate. Yes. I, okay. I, I do know the movie, and by the way, for Al Pacino, it's a juicy role. I mean, he, he, oh. he eats the scenery in that movie. If you haven't seen, if anybody out there, if you haven't seen that movie, watch it. It, it, it will chill you right to the bones. But, uh, you know, leaving that aside, remember the scene where Keanu Reeves' young wife is shopping with the other lawyers' wives, all these rich women, and one of the women turns around while trying on some clothes, and with her breasts exposed, and 
smiles down at her, and suddenly there's this demon face on her face. Right, right. You know? one, of the it, other lawyer, one of the other lawyers' wives turns into, for a moment, a demon. It's a, it's a scene that you almost have to turn away from. It's grotesque. Oh, yeah. But that, that is the scene. That is what we need. We need a commercial that says, Janet Protozeevich says that, that Dan Kelly allowed child molesters out, you know, and they showed us little girl, you know. And uh, in Janet Protozeevich's world, that girl would have never been born because she favors abortion right up to the moment of birth. That's murder. Janet Protozeevich, monster, murderer. That's and we need her 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 cheesy smile that she has. We need that superimposed with that that demon face. All right, you know what? Here, here's where I disagree with you. And by the way, thank you for referencing a, a really good and entertaining and in some ways thought provoking movie. I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's enough because if you are again this typical liberal female twenty something college age voter, um. If Janet Protasewicz was pictured with horns and a pitchfork, but she was going to be the one that was going to bring back abortion rights, they'd vote for her. That they're not going to care about all of the other issues. And again, uh, you say we're, we're losing the morality war and we shouldn't run, but yet you're making a morality argument. And I'm never ceding the high grounds because I believe there are fundamental things that are right and wrong. And I'm going to use what influence I have. I mean, I'm sitting here behind a microphone and I'm talking to tens of thousands of people. And I'm not giving that up to talk about things that I believe are just fundamentally right and fundamentally wrong. And uh, I, I don't want wishy-washy, squish Republicans to say, well, uh, let's uh, let it up to a woman and uh, let a woman choose. No, it's killing a baby. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican or Democrat or if you're young or old or if you're liberal or conservative. It's a morality issue, and morality is there are some things that simply come down to right or wrong. You know, what might be a one-winning commercial for Dan Kelly to get him over the top, I would have to think about that. He has limited funds. It could only be shown for a short time. And again, I'm thinking, or my concern is, that the Judge Janet must restore abortion, must get that 1849 law off the books. I'm not sure that there is a commercial or an issue that could be put together that would persuade them. I'm not sure of that at all. I will tell you something that has kind of popped into this race in the last couple of days. I think maybe it will gain some traction. I'm not sure if it's enough. I'll, I'll share that with you in just a moment. First, let's take a few more of your calls on WSAU feedback. Hi, caller. It's your turn. Go ahead. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Say, uh, I'm just going to start it out with Ashley Babbitt is her name, for starters, uh, on the abortion issue. Uh, an absolute immoral uh, manner of birth control, without a doubt, exclamation mark. And, uh, you know, every, every one of your callers is spot on here uh, with, the, with the advertisements that are out there in the media, and the media is the virus, without a doubt. And all I could say is, you know, it, it's absolutely horrible. It, it is with, with, with the abortion issue here. Yeah, look, look, I, I would like to think that my fellow citizens, that when I go out and walk the streets and see other people or when I go to, you know, a, a high school sporting event, I would like to think that I am among people that at least share some kind of moral foundation that's similar to mine. 
And the truth is that that's not the case. You're deluding yourself if that's what you think. I mean, look, I go to a church. I go to a church that is much more liberal than I could imagine. In fact, I'm, I'm in the market for a different church. That even in a house of worship, the day that the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, the bishop of the denomination that I'm a member of and the clergyman, the clergywoman in this case, said openly that the Sunday after the Supreme Court struck down Roe versus Wade, said, if you're a woman in a crisis pregnancy, come, come and talk to me. And, and the message was crystal clear. It was, come and talk to me, and we'll talk to you about your options, about whether or not you want to have that baby or not. And again, I, I'm, to be honest with you, as I reflect back on being in church that Sunday, when you realize that even in the pews, people don't share the same basic morality of right and wrong as you do, and yet you'd like to think of them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and that there's difference of opinion on this issue, on the fundamental issue of life? Well, I'll tell you that there is in many of our churches, never mind just when you go out into uh, into public on the street. And boy, I mean, that just shows you the morality gap that we are fighting here. Look, I'm going to take one more call at 715-845-2155 before our break. This has popped up. It's a hashtag. It says hashtag no jail Janet. That Janet Protasewicz, when she was a judge hearing trial cases, again, that's not what she'll be hearing on the state Supreme Court, that she was one of these low bail, no bail, let them out as soon as possible, get them on parole, not put hardened criminals behind bars. That's all a part of her record. Well, okay. Um, Do those cases need to be highlighted? Well, yes, they should. Are they enough to stem the tide? I don't know. I'll tell you what gives me a a little glimpse of optimism there, that maybe hashtag no jail Janet can get some momentum, because look at what happened in Chicago. Look, Lori Lightfoot sucked as a mayor. I did a commentary earlier today. Her lousy COVID policies are what's come back to haunt her, that Chicago has gang violence in the streets Every Monday morning, we do this many people were killed, this many people were shot in Chicago from the pre- the previous weekend. It's a city where the gangs are running roughshod, and boy, couldn't that city use another 700 police officers? Wouldn't Chicago benefit if you said, tomorrow I'm putting 700 new cops onto the street? Well, that's how many cops Lori Lightfoot fired, because they wouldn't get their COVID shots. So when public safety is not a given... People look to different political leaders. She got voted out of office because people who pay the sky-high rents and the sky-high taxes and all the other inconveniences of living in Chicago because you think, hey, it's a cool city, it's the Windy City, it's Gotham, it's the the city of broad shoulders and all of that. But none of that matters if you're worried if you're going to get gunned down. When you see gangs wilding on the Magnificent Mile and the tourists say, uh, gee, I think I'm not uh, not going there because that doesn't, uh, doesn't look safe. Well, then you look to different political leadership. Well, if we have a judge whose judicial philosophy is, oh, let him out of jail. Oh, it's parole and probation. They don't need to actually be incarcerated. Oh, no bail, low bail, so we can let these criminals after they're caught and arrested, but before their trial, they can go out and exact their revenge and intimidate their witnesses. Uh, I think we should tell people more that that's the way Judge Janet Protasewicz ruled from the bench. But again, the abortion issue seems like it trumps 
everything else. And maybe there are young, liberal, college-age women who care about abortion rights and may say, I'm okay, uh, that personal safety issue, that's my number two issue, but my abortion is number one, and and I'm going to vote for Judge Janet regardless. Let's take a quick break. We'll take a few more of your phone calls, too. I'm Chris Conley, your guest host today on Feedback on WSAU. Democrats, they're morons. WSAU and WSAU.com. We have a few minutes left on feedback, and I'm happy to share them with you. Meg Ellison is back tomorrow. I'm Chris Conley, guest hosting. Caller, make it happen. Make it quick. You're on feedback. Go ahead. Hi, Chris. Okay, Hi. Dan Kelly needs everybody's help, but we need the, the higher levels of the GOP. We need people who are on national TV shows to get with it and get behind him and help us out. They have the platform. We're doing our best. They need to help us. Everybody knows how important Wisconsin is. Look, it, it is a nationalized race. Um, Janet Protasewicz gets huge amounts of out-of-state funding. Why? Because every group that poured money into the abortion issue is pouring money into her campaign. And if Republicans can't match that, well, then Dan Kelly's in a lot of trouble. Again, I, I said earlier in the program, she's got $2 million worth of advertising booked. Dan Kelly's got 200000 He's being outspent 10 to 1. So unless there is someone national otherwise that helps him close that gap, to, tell me how this works out. All right, on to another caller on feedback. Hi, it's your turn. Go ahead. Hello. Yes, hello. Am I on? Okay. Uh, you're doing a good job. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Let's stop calling it abortion and calling it what it is, which is baby butchering. And it is the leftist uh, high sacrament and the rite of passage. No, look, I, I, I agree. Uh, abortion doesn't fully describe what happens there. I mean, look at Minnesota. Minnesota, now controlled by all Democrats, legislature, governor, and their state Supreme Court. Minnesota just passed and had signed into law. Abortion is legal at any stage of pregnancy. I mean, I've used this as a hypothetical. A woman who is expecting suddenly goes into labor. I mean, they're about to give her the epidural. They're getting ready to wheel her into the delivery room. And under Minnesota law, she could announce, I'm sorry, I've got second thoughts about this whole motherhood thing. And she could ask for, and under Minnesota law, would be entitled to terminate her pregnancy perhaps within a few hours, perhaps within just a few minutes, or a short walk that literally there's there there's an off-ramp towards the delivery room where she can say, no, take me to the other surgical suite where this abortion could be terminated. I would hope that there would be enough doctors in Minnesota who would say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. Uh, she's in labor. The, the baby is fully formed. The baby's about to go into the birthing canal. But under Minnesota law, where abortion is now legal in that state, again, Democrats, liberals run amok there. You could terminate your pregnancy up to the moment of birth, and it is legal. Is that, you see, again, I, I talk about the morality gap, but that's what people on the political left, that, that, that's their high goal. That's, that's what they want to see is the standard everywhere. And they say, oh, Chris, you're exaggerating. Oh, oh, that's very, very rare. Well, you know what? I want that very, very rare thing, which to me looks like infanticide, which looks like murder. I, I want that very rare thing to not happen. And in Minnesota, it could 
Is that the path we're on here in Wisconsin? One more call on feedback. Hi, caller. It's your turn. Go ahead. Yeah, I I just wanted to mention one thing about the abortion. I think everybody who is against the abortion issue has already got their morals already set, and they already know who they're voting for. I think we actually need to get on to the other issues. Because no, look, the ones I, I, who are going to vote for uh, uh, abortion issues, their minds are already set. No, I, I agree with you. And, and that's why I wonder if this hashtag no jail Janet can can get some traction. Because, again, look, I used Chicago as an example, but I, I think that's true in other places, too. People are willing to consider changing their politics. They're willing to reevaluate if their personal safety isn't a given. In Chicago, it wasn't. People felt unsafe. So they took a liberal, progressive mayor. I mean, look, Lori Lightfoot down for the struggle in every other area and finished third in her city's primary and will not be mayor after May 1st because people said, uh, hey, it's not safe here. Listen, these were great conversations. Thank you for calling on what I think is going to be a very difficult issue for people on our side of the political world. Meg Ellison is back tomorrow. I'm Chris Conley. Thank you for lending your ears today on Feedback.